Yeah, look at the gang's all here for Pet Chat again. The uh, Cheryl Shaw, the great one. How are you, Cheryl? Oh, hang on. I, haven't, I was complaining to you, Paul, a minute ago that you weren't ready. <laughs> so disorganised. Oh, and I've buggered it up. We're going to start again. <laughs> okay. The great one, Cheryl Shaw, is here. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome to Pet Chat. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. I know. What do you got today for us? We're going to be talking about rats, but not as not as pets. As pests. As pests. All right. We're going to shift those letters around. And uh, the Dr. Paul McCarthy is here, ready mm-hmm. to answer your pet questions as well. And you'll probably give us a long laundry list of things that we don't like about rats too. Well, I'm going to try and play devil's advocate. We might do the, what's good about rats as well? Oh, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, good cop, mm. bad cop. Cheryl, you're the bad cop today. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I get to be the hero. Mm. I'm never the hero. Never. All right. Sounds, <laughs> sounds pretty good. Rats and other happenings on Pet Chat today. Paul, we're going to let you warm up on one straight away. We've got Alrighty. Jan from East Maitland. And Jan, you've got an older dog with a bit of an itch. What's going on there, Jan? Oh, it's for my daughter, darling. Um, better turn the wireless off. He's always rubbing and scratching at the base of his tail. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's quite nasty. He gets it nearly every year. Mm-hmm. But Tracy's very fussy with him. And she's got him on uh, Dog Omega. Mm-hmm. And she's got him on Revolution. Yep. And she's got him on a no-grain diet, but it's still not doing any good. Look, she's been very good, and she's looked at all the different alternatives there in that you wonder, number one, for the tail base is rule out fleas in the parasites yeah, in that area. Yeah, she's got no are, fleas. Oh, yeah, no which, fleas. Which is perfect. Revolution will fix that for her. Mm. She's also looked at using omega-3, which is a way of trying to improve the skin's resistance to allergies by having some more fatty acids in the skin, so that was a good choice as well. Um, and then uh, she looked at diet. So diet certainly has been a, a thing to, sh- to show that there are dietary um, allergies. Now, interestingly... Grain isn't commonly the, the most likely reactant agent in a diet. Usually mm. proteins are more likely to cause you a food allergy than a grain-free, but certainly grain-free is worth trying. And certainly she could look at trying to use less commonly used proteins like fish um, rather than beef, lamb or chicken, in that often fish-based diets are less allergenic as well. Oh. Now... The likelihood, because you already gave us our, our giveaway here, was it occurs at the same time every year, mm. is that the most likely is that this is going to be a plant-based allergy. Right. In that in most allergies that have a, a waxing and waning occurrence or come at the same time every year yeah, well, are less to likely to get at the get... same time every year, darling. Yeah, so, so food, for example, you eat all the time. So if it's, if it's just a food allergy, then... It should happen all year round. Yeah. But if it's seasonal, the most likely culprit is it's going to be something in her environment. So this is one of those circumstances where you can do a lot or a little. Ideally, you would have a chat to your veterinarian and have a dermatologist look at the dog and work out exactly what the allergens are by doing things like interdermal skin testing and blood tests to determine if they could actually rule out the trigger by finding out what it is. Mm. And you can use a series of injections, same as people, um, to work out what the allergen is. And then you can use some desensitizing injections to try and have the dog eventually grow out of the reaction by having a multiple, having little stimuli all the time so the immune system eventually turns off from reacting. It's really bad this time. It's not too bad as a rule because she's very particular with him, but it's just... 
she said this time it's really bad, you know. Yeah, and it's been a really wet season. So um, we find the most common at this time of year is buffalo grass. Lots of lots of dogs respond to buffalo grass at yeah. this time of year. And the weather we had over December has made the buffalo grass nice and lush and healthy. And so we're seeing in our own practice an enormous number of dogs coming through, much more reactive than they have done in previous seasons. Yeah, and there are some really good drugs now for those. But she keeps it well maintained, you know, as grass is always kept real low and... Uh, and in actual fact, that can sometimes be part of the problem. In the oh. mowing, mown lawn is much more allergenic than than not because the cut grass immediately after mowing has wet edges, and so oh. the allergen is much more likely. So I always advise clients who have got um, allergy reactive dogs, particularly grass allergy dogs, keep them off that freshly mown grass for at least a few hours after it's been done to try and minimise that risk. Oh. Um, in this circumstance, I would think your best bet would be to have a chat to your local veterinarian. There are some really good new products that have come out for allergies. There's an injection you can give once a month called Cytopoint. There's an oral medication called Apoquil. And then there's a good old-fashioned penicillin as well. So there's some really good drugs out there to help manage this disease. And it is, though not curable, a very manageable situation. Oh, I appreciate that, darling, because she had him at the vet last year for some stomach trouble. cost of $5,000. Wow. <laughs> Because yeah. so, he's pretty so special, though. medication shouldn't cost that much, hopefully. No, he's nine, <laughs> but, I mean, he's very well looked after, but she's quite worried about this itch on him. Yeah, have a, have a chat to a vet. There's some good products for this now. All right, thank you very much for that, Jen. And, uh, yeah, it's, I've learned something today, Paul. I reckon mm-hmm. if you come into a day and you learn something... The day has not been wasted. No, I agree. And the cut grass thing for allergens. Yeah, so it's interesting. So... Um, it, it covers for wet grass as well. So because you have had so much rain and a lot of the grass is wet, um, dogs who have wet feet absorb the allergen faster. So um, if you have got dogs who are allergic to grasses, often wiping their feet when they've been off the grass is a good idea. Helps a bit. Dry the feet afterwards as well. Um, or even prophylactically, you can use topical corticosteroid creams before the walk so that the sort of a skin's desensitised to a degree to the allergen before you've actually had exposure to the grass. All right. So I get sure we've learned something. You're going to take us down a, a different place today. Rats, but not as pets as pests you want to talk. So floor is yours. Okay, thank you, Mark. Look, it really is an issue at the moment. The um, Hunter Area Health has put out a warning just not for um, just animals but also Mm. for people because of the diseases that rats are spreading. Um, At the moment, they're in plague proportion, so we need to look at why. And part of it is because we've had ideal weather for them to breed. We've had lots of moisture, there's been lots of rain, they've been able to forage and find lots of food. And with rats, part of the problem is that um, it's very easy for them to source food. A lot of us keep chooks or we have aviaries and they go to those places to seek out grains and seeds. So it's really important that you keep your aviary and your um, chook coop really clean and that you remove water and seed at night and then put it back in the morning just to discourage these rats from getting into our source of food because, Paul, they actually um, toilet in the, in the seed while they're eating it. Is this how the yeah, disease Yeah, sure. So, so most commonly rats pass their diseases by their urine. Um, you will have all heard about a disease called leptospirosis, which is the one that sadly has been um, affecting dogs in Sydney. We, we haven't have fortunately not had many cases here in Newcastle. But, yeah, it's the urine which you need to be careful about. Um, and so anywhere where you can have soiled, soiled um, food, soiled products... Um, other other dogs and animals are likely to eat those things. So, yeah. yeah, and even uh, your dog food. You know, picking up the kibble bowls at night as well, because I know that in my own home, 
the rats actually ate through the plastic container that we store our dog food in. They mm. chewed a big hole and got Common into scenario. that. So, yeah. you know, they really do go looking for the food. There really isn't anything that they won't chew through, is there? You know, they even eat cardboard. Like, yeah, they've just got cardboard? no palate. Rats? <laughs> <laughs> They're remembering they need to... Um, Rats have incisors that grow their entire life. So if they're not gnawing on things, um, their teeth will overgrow. So there's a reason why rats chew everything is because they need to keep working those incisors as well. Two things we've learned today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun fact. <laughs> fun facts. But if I can just quickly, just before we move on to the next bit there, Cheryl, though, we, I guess with the whole having making the food environment good for, for rats in the chicken coop, except the more of the rats and mice we get, and I guess the more the other things come in to want to eat them, so maybe like snakes... Oh, Etc. I just get a shudder oh. when you say that word. <laughs> oh. um, but Mark is correct. Yes. So we have had a lot more. Um, the python family are becoming much more suburban, suburbanized because of the number of rodents we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of people are finding sort of pythons in their roof um, and in their garages where previously they would actually be only in the bush. But because we've had so many rodents in the local area, we are seeing a lot more of those guys that, um, locally. And um, as a warning out there, if you see one, Pythons are fortunately not poisonous. Um, don't try and move it on your own necessarily. There are snake catchers out there to help you with those guys. Um, but often they're really innocuous. They'll just move on. So um, for those people who have those snake phobias, um, don't get the shovel out just yet. L- lo- lots of those guys are doing some, doing some good rather than some harm. There are a couple of guys who can help you with that as well. <laughs> not endorsing, just saying they're out there. And the thing is too with rats, their gestation period, so their breeding period is really short. It's mm. only 21 days and yep. they can have really large litters. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know... so. That's how it all perpetuates is the breeding so quickly and then there's more and then those young ones are having babies. It's quite quite a worry. But rats are usually nocturnal, so we often don't even, you know, we're not even aware really that they're there. So they're running around and doing a lot of their damage at night time. So as I said, just keeping things clean is going to be really important. But often we need to try to um, intervene and if we don't have our pet snakes around we have to go to other measures and you know the control that you use can be very different but if you're using things like rat baits or rat poisons and um, those blocks you need to be aware of your pets because our pets really are attracted to them and this can create a really big problem if, if you've baited for rats and then your pet eats that you need to get to the vet if you're aware that it's happened get to the vet immediately and Paul this is really important because different med, um, different medications are used to treat different rat baits correct so it's a really interesting topic you bring this up because we had two last week so um, again, again, because of the plague lots mm-hmm. of people are getting their, their rat baits out so if you do use any of the products and you're, you think your dog has had access to those, it helps the vet enormously if you can keep the box so that if a dog inadvertently does get to these products, you've actually got the product you have put out, the active ingredient, because as you rightly said, Cheryl, the um, the antidote's very similar. It's usually, you're usually supplementing with vitamin K, but because of the different generations of the drug, some of the rat sack families... Um, require much longer treatment plans than others. Some you can treat for seven days and you're on, on your way. Um, some you need to, to um, continue treatment for up to four to five weeks. So if you can let the vet know what the 
the product you've used is, it'll make a big difference into how much you need to medicate and for how long. Yeah. Now, one of the things I know that I had my dog, Mystique, when she came to me, she was um, actually immunised because she came from Sydney. So she was immunised against the leptospirosis. Yes. Does that last a lifetime? No, it's an annual vaccination. Okay. So probably I'll be thinking about that one now. Yeah, and interestingly, they used uh, in the last 12 months or so, they were recommending, and actually they were giving it to different clients in in the sort of um, around the Paddington area in Sydney because they had such a large number of leptospirosis cases. Um, and so leptospira has become one of the vaccines we do often see regularly used in, for puppies. Um, and uh, though we haven't had large numbers of it here in Newcastle, we are seeing more clients requesting it. Yeah, that's interesting. So just keep your uh, pets free of that rat bait and uh, keep those rats away. Sounds pretty good. All right, now we've got to move on, but very quickly, just want to get to Elizabeth at Yarramalong Valley. Uh, Elizabeth, your dog is continuing licking its paws. What's going on? Oh, she's a little Australian bulldog, and she chews and licks her paws constantly. We've tried dipping them in a mixture of 50% of apple cider vinegar and water, and I've tried spraying no chew on them and she just chews and chews and chews and then she gets sick and there's saliva everywhere and I don't know how to stop her chewing her feet. Yeah. So as we spoke to our previous client, Elizabeth, this is likely to be a topical allergen. Um, feet in particular tend to be very common spots because that's where they have their contact. Um, the bigger and wider the pore, um, the more moist those areas can become. Bulldogs often have a fairly sort of um, moist pore naturally. And so the combination of the allergy and the licking then causes a secondary dermatitis called pododermatitis. And that dermatitis then fuels the licking, so it becomes a vicious circle. So it's quite probable that your dog has two conditions happening at the moment. The first is an underlying skin allergy, obviously, which is, which is what stimulated the licking. And then the second now is that they're probably infected because of the fact that there's been so much licking and moisture in the site. The bacteria on our skin that are part of our microflora that look at, sort of protect ourselves um, can also be damaging to us if larger numbers are increasing because the area, the environment is right for those to grow. Um, I would strongly recommend for this case, this is another one to talk to your local vet about, in that I would manage this on two fronts. You need to suppress the allergen, so suppress the allergy, um, and there are medications we can use for that. But I would think most likely you'll also need to have a course of antibiotics to try and manage the bacteria between the toes as well. Okay. Now, things like... Like so, lots of lots of people try and use things like apple cider vinegar, and it's actually a very good agent to use if you're just dealing with bacteria. So if you're trying to keep an area clean of bacteria, people often use it in the ears as well. Um, it's very good at trying to help before dermatitis gets severe. But once dermatitis is there, there's very little benefit you'll gain from using the apple cider vinegar. Um, the second thing is no lick. Commonly, people grab these solutions that make the foot um, taste bad. Uh, and and though it's a good thought, because often if it's a, if it's a very mild case, um, using the no-lick and those sorts of solutions are very handy for those to break that cycle. But in a situation where it's been going for some time, the no-lick won't have any punch anymore. The no, dog, she doesn't the, seem to bother about no, that. No, the dog won't even worry about the taste anymore no. because the drive from the allergy is so high, they're ignoring the bitterness of the, of the foot taste. They just really want to try and get that itch to stop. So it's very frustrating for the dog. 
Um, and so certainly, as I said, there are medications that work really well to help manage these disease. You won't cure it um, unless you look at a dermatologist report and, and doing the desensitized vaccinations, which can get you a cure. But certainly most allergies, like in people, uh, like myself currently suffering some hay fever, there are medications you can use to try and help with that. Okie doke. All right, well, I'll give that a go then because it's driving us all mad. Yeah, um, and, and, and the dog as well. So this, this is, this is you know, very frustrating for the dog to have this constant, you know, need to lick. Isn't, they're not doing it for fun. They're, they're doing it because it's really annoying them as well. All right, thanks so much, Elizabeth, there at Yarramalong Valley. A little bit more of Pet Chat on the way next to 2NURFM. I guess they've heard, ever heard of the phrase, ask and you shall receive. We kind of mentioned a couple of minutes ago, just jokingly, because I know, Cheryl, you hate snakes, right? That's your worst oh, fear in life. It's a nightmare. Oh. So, so if you want to excuse for the next couple of minutes, we will not hold it against you. But um, I sort of mentioned snakes and, you know, snakes as pets. And then, Paul, you whipped out your telephone and you showed some photos of you operating on a, uh, on a snake. What yep. did you pull out of the little guy? Yeah, so this was a, a snake that had swallowed a piece of its um, bedding closure, a piece of bark chip, mm-hmm. um, and sadly it had wedged. And so the bark chip couldn't go forward or backwards, and so we had to surgically remove the bark chip. Now, I guess it's got to be pretty tough. I mean, it's tough enough with people trying to, to, to get them knocked out, but, and with dogs and cats, it's probably pretty interesting. But how do you sort of get it? How do you handle a snake to a point that yeah. you can actually get it sort of under? Yeah, so fortunately the the magic of modern medicine has helped you with that one. So we give a, a throw a dart at it. <laughs> well, no, fortunately, we had the head in a in a in a bag, and, and we can actually bring the tail end out. Um, and you give it an injection to the muscle of a snake, which makes it feel sleepy. Um, and then you actually can reach there's a a vein underneath the tail called the, the ventral tail vein. Um, and if you flip the snake over um, in the bag still, and just give a tail at one end, you could actually give your anaesthetic into that vein. Um, and then once it's anaesthetised by the the IV anaesthetic, you then pass a um, little uh, like a, a catheter into its airway, and you can breathe through it under the anaesthetic. You have to breathe for them while they're anaesthetised. So I would imagine that, from the snake's point of view, it doesn't know what's going on. It's got its its, its backside hanging yep, out. And, it's, it's heads in the, it's yeah. in, in the dark. They're often very calm about that one until yep. you start poking around with a needle. Or was it yeah, okay? It was actually they they. Interestingly, snakes, are, as patients go, are, are pretty good because if they're in the dark and they're in their bag, you can sort of keep them contained there pretty well. And you've just got you know the pointy ends in the bag, and you've got the other end. So, and once they're anaesthetized by the IV, then you can open up the, open up their jaws and pass the the, the the catheter into their airway. See, Cheryl, snakes aren't too bad. <sighs> <laughs> they're really tough. They're, they're, they're tough to suture because the scales are a different consistency to skin. Oh. So, but um, if, when I first did my first snake years and years ago, I was I was ready to sort of jam this thing through like it was going to be sort of like a crocodile. But it's actually quite soft. So oh, it, it's, it's tougher than skin, but not as tough as you think. You're saying interesting, Cheryl, but you hate this. Yeah, I do. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be there for that surgery, I can tell you. Paul, you, I know you've got Cheryl's number. The next time that you get the call in... You I'll just, invite her down as a, to be nurse for the day. You're going to be... Uh, Cheryl, we're going to be Paul's social media agent on that day, getting oh. them to close with the, the film. Oh. No? Eyes closed. I guess more and more people are going, though, guys, to more of the exotic are very popular pets. pets. Yeah. Yeah, very popular. Yeah. They, they, they take a very astute owner in that most of the reptile family don't show they're unwell till they're very, very unwell. 
Um, this one was an easy one because you could sort of hold the snake up and it was sort of skinny, skinny, well, skinny, a skinny and a big wide bit in the middle. Um, so you could it's almost, tell like a ca- almost like a cartoon where yeah, they swallow exactly, a fridge or something. Exactly like that. Exactly like that. Um, so, but often reptiles, particularly lizards, will often not show that they're unwell um, because they don't always eat every day. They, they um, often don't drink very much. There's often it's difficult to know whether your animal is unwell until, sadly, they're, they're very, very sick. Um, but... but um, they're becoming very popular pets. The, the new generation of pet owners are often looking for those animals that don't require as much exercise, don't require as much um, hands-on. So people who have got busy jobs, these are often really good pets for these guys. Because they just seem to do a lot of laying around. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're very pretty. Um, a lot of the reptiles we have in this country, for example, are, are beautiful. And so we, we see some really lovely animals coming through. You obviously have to have a license to have some of these pets, and I, I encourage you to look at the National Parks and Wildlife website before you launch out and say, I'm going to do this. And there's a lot of um, knowledge you need to have to keep these guys um, in the right body temperature, the correct feeding, um, having, allowing them to shed appropriately, getting the mix of vitamin D right. It's not an easy pet necessarily, but... Um, I encourage those interested. Certainly, they they, they you know they, they can be quite fun. It's, it's interesting though that you mentioned there, um, Paul. That yeah, for people who don't want to do a lot, like oh, mm. I don't want to go and walk the dog. Yeah. Cheryl will walk the dog all day long, right? But um, for the snake, you you don't have to do a lot of that. But there's no. still a lot of other things, a lot of other considerations. Correct. Mm. Yeah, correct. There there are I, I call them a high maintenance pet, not because of time involved in exercise, but in just time involved making sure their that their environment's perfect. All right. A lot of these creatures are desert creatures. So we're bringing we desert We don't have a lot of desert in Newcastle, That's right, and see not in our living rooms. So it's about getting that desert atmosphere into a, into a suburban household. All right, well, if you have a question for the gang here, I, I noticed I didn't refer to you too much in that, Cheryl, because you're just like, yeah, can we just move mm. on past this? Yeah, let's go. What, are, what, are, what, are, what other animals don't you like? That's the only one. That's the main one? Mm, yeah. What, yeah. about, what about in terms of just... Um, There's probably a reason for that too. Yeah. So this is the, the psychology student in me coming through. Um, lots of those phobias of snakes and spiders are, are an evolutionary success story. So if you were um, a young child of a Neanderthal-type person who went out and picked up whatever animal they could and they pick up a snake and they get bitten and die, they die out. And so psychology believes that there's lots of different reasons for phobias to occur, and some of those are just natural survival instincts. Well, it's the only phobia I've got, yeah. so, you know, I can handle the spiders, don't mind spiders at all, but it's, anything else, it's snakes... Funny, funny you mention spiders, though. For me now, um, spider means go and grab a full tin of spray and go through a full tin of spray. <laughs> um, and we're talking the money spiders, but as a kid... And, <laughs> And I'm, and I'm talking. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. And I'm talking pre five year old kid. A house we lived in at the time, up on the um, the piers. Piers, thank you. And I used to just for fun, I'd just go and crawl underneath, right up in the middle of the house, in the chimney bit down the bottom. And I'd just sit in there and just sort of it was almost like a cubby house. Spider webs and spiders all around. As a three or four year old, it's just part and parcel. Come now, it's like. Yeah, it's interesting. it's interesting, and and there's a lot of studies being done as to how how we can try and reverse those because mm. because spiders, to be honest, are exceptionally handy to have in your household. The the pests you want to get rid of are the prey of these spiders. So mm. um, I gave it to nurse, you know, get this, the the pest control out. They kill everything on block. It 
it allows more of those easier things like roaches and and um, earwigs and the things the silverfish you don't want because mm. um, you've taken out one of their predators. So um, I'm one of those people that ducks under the spider web in their yeah. backyard every morning because I wanted Let to catch the there. flies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and a calf at Gorrington. Uh, what sort of bird have you got? I've got a canary. Mm-hmm. What's, going, what's going on with the canary there, Kath? Well, canary, he's about 14 years old, uh, starting to lose his feathers, and it looks like he's broken one of his feet. Okay. You know how his little claws stand on the perch? Well, yep. they're bent underneath. Okay. So I just wanted to know, um, like, would he be in a lot of pain? He's so, still eating and drinking. Does it look like he's still holding his weight? Yeah, he seems to be holding his weight. Um, I've had to put all his food on the bottom of the cage because he can't fly at the moment. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So certainly I would have some welfare issues with that foot. I I would probably have that examined by a vet just to see if it is is broken. um, Birds generally have a really quick healing rate. They they can heal very quickly if if a limb is immobilised for a time period. But yep. um, if there's a combination of things happening, if we're not being able to fly and that, that, that toe right. is at an unusual angle, I, I would think there may be some welfare issues there, Kath. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're bent underneath. Like, you know, you close your hands like a fist. Yep. Well, his little feet, foot bent under like that and he hops around the cage, hops okay. around the bottom. So that and probably... he's still eating and drinking. The yeah. trouble is he does everything in his water. He so... won't go in the separate water for a bath. Okay, with a, a foot that's now a claw, that's all like a fist, um, right. that's less likely to be broken and right. more likely to be nerve or vascular. So oh, right. n- yep. nerve injury or vascular injury, it, it, okay. it, it possibly means that the foot has no sensation now. It, right, um, okay. And often in birds, interestingly, where the kidneys sit is where the sciatic nerve leaves the bird. And often right. diseases of the kidney um, or, or even tumours in the kidney can, can put pressure on that area. Um, right. So this is, I think, probably a little bit more serious than just uh, a damaged toe. Um, right. okay. In that it's a whole, whole claw itself. If the whole foot itself is held as a fist, um, that would indicate that there is discomfort there for sure. Right. Would he be suffering a lot with it? I think it would be, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Right, so. Yeah. I'd better get him looked at. Then. Yeah, I certainly think so. In that, in yes. that there is certainly, um, I'm only guessing, obviously, that without seeing the bird, I can't be 100 percent sure. But, yeah. but that as a history would make me concerned. But it's a full limb injury rather than just a toe, um, yeah. and if it's probably the whole leg that may be affected. Hence, why we can't fly or do those other activities as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Normally, a, a, a bird with a, with a damaged toe will still fly. Um, yep. If the whole limb is affected, then the balance is out, and therefore right. the birds can't can't do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Then fine. Okay, I'm sorry about that, Kath. I hope I hope the outcome is good. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again, Kath uh, from Gorakin. There. Uh, too, we we get all sorts here at Pet Show, don't we? Well, Miss Shaw here has canaries. Mm. I do. Mm. Many canaries. Yes. Okay, so I, I didn't know this. I, I know you've got the dogs and been a big dog lover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, birds as well. Yeah, so I have an aviary, and in my aviary I have canaries, and we've been successful this year with breeding some. And I also have and finches and quails and a galah. And I have a house canary as well. It's no way to talk about your other half. (laughs) (laughs) Two glass. It was there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so my house canary is really Neither can cook, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mm. One can serve a good wine, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so again, uh, a couple of minutes to go if you have got a pet question. Probably very quick now, 49216216. We'll get you in there. Um, Canaries make very good pets. Um, They're really entertaining because they're they're very clever birds and so they respond to stimuli Mm. um, as well as being beautiful, as you know, Cheryl. Um, They're quite entertaining. And and lots of people, for example, elderly people um, who need that sort of um, companionship type thing, canaries really serve that role beautifully because... They, they like to be heard. They like to groom and, and show off. They're, they're really quite entertaining birds to have. And and generally, if you have their environment right, they, they're quite hardy birds. Oh, they live a long hardy. time. Yeah, yeah. And they do love to bathe, like that lady was saying when she called in. They love to have a bath in the mm. morning, a freshwater bath. They just love it. They're clean little birds. They make a mess with their seed, but they're lovely. Yeah, yeah. My great-grandmother had canaries, and she used to keep them on her veranda in Tamworth. Oh. Um, and um, I was always, you know, one of the highlights was going to see great grandma's um, canaries. They're good birds. Fair enough. Again, we'll I have a soft spot for them. And snakes as well. Yeah, soft spot for them too. <laughs> All right, that's uh, just about it for us today. Uh, another pet chat uh, done and dusted. Back again next week. As always, thank you so much, Dr. Paul McCarthy. Pleasure. And uh, the great Cheryl Shaw over there who bought us uh, rats, not as pets, but as pests. So <laughs> if you turn that document upside down in a, in a couple of months, you'll be able to do them as pets, I reckon. Oh, there you go. Yeah, rice and... They make good pets. Yeah. So I, I, I heartily endorse them as pets. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week.